Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. This week has been um, a week of a lot of uh, crazy things happening around the world. I think what's on you know, most people's minds right now is the earthquake in Nepal. Um, for those of us that are Sabbath observant, uh, when Shabbos ended, we got the news that there was a big earthquake. Um, and by this point in the week, there's already thousands dead. Uh, many thousands injured. I saw somewhere that they said the death toll could rise to 10,000 people. Um, just the conditions are really horrible. And, um, you know, people on the other side of the world are in need of, you know, medical help and food and water and just those basic things. And, um, you know, here at Jew in the City, um, besides breaking down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews, we like to show, you know, all the kindness that exists in the community. And perhaps maybe for the story we're going to share with you today, this is an opportunity to break down a stereotype and show kindness. Um, now, there is a Jewish law in the laws of tzedakah, of charity, that you're supposed to sort of start your help at home, meaning that if someone within your home needs help, then if you only have a limited amount of funds, you should help the people in your home. And then next, you should look out to, you know, sort of your smaller community, your neighborhood, and then your larger community, your town, and so, so on and so forth. And so there is an idea of, you know, that help starts at home, but at the same time, there's also an idea that um, we're not just here to help only the Jewish people, that um, our resources and our time and our efforts should help all, all of mankind. And so uh, today, uh, joining us are a couple young guests who uh, kind of... Um, symbolize this message. Their names are Sienna Dub and Willow Goldman, and they are nine years old at Yavna Academy in third and fourth grade. Sienna and Willow, thank you for joining us. Guys, you there? Hi. 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 Can I ask you a question? Have you ever done a radio interview before? No. No. Okay. Well, we're so excited to uh, give you your first, uh, you know, opportunity for press. So um, you can just talk to us normally here, and everyone's so excited to hear from you. So the reason that um, we're bringing you on today, um, I'm Facebook friends with Sienna's father, Mike Dube. We had him on several weeks back. Um, he's the founder, the co-founder of an organization, Sharing Seats, where they take excess seats from uh, corporate events and they give them to people who could use a pick-me-up, sick kids, people, you know, with disabilities abilities, that sort of thing. Um, and so Mike shared a picture of his daughter, uh, Sienna, and her friend Willow, who had made a lemonade stand, but the proceeds of the lemonade stand had gone somewhere unexpected. So can you girls tell me, just to start off, whose idea was it to make a lemonade stand um, at your play date on Sunday? It was my idea, but and Willow made a lemonade stand two days before, and I thought, and I thought today was... I thought Sunday would be a very fun and sunny day to do a lemonade stand. Yeah, because I made one two days before. Right, and also it hasn't really been very warm weather, but you know we have to sort of catch whatever sun we can get around here, and, and that's the thing that kids do. We actually um, spoke to a mother of a daughter who made a, made a lemonade stand uh, a couple weeks ago, um, Rue Uzman, her daughter Nama, who's four, made a, made a lemonade stand to help raise funding for Angelman syndrome. Her brother has this syndrome. And in a year with the lemonade stand, she raised $25,000. So the no number doesn't really matter in terms of how much you raise. But um, when I tell my husband we're having more kids um, with lemonade stands, he said, is this like the new segment of the show? Like, you know, lemonade stand of the week. But um, what I realize is that Lemonade stands are things that kids do, and but most kids probably use their money from lemonade stands for themselves. Did you guys have an idea about where you wanted to take the proceeds of your lemonade stands originally? First, um, me and Willow thought that we would take it for ourselves, 
But then we realized that other people in the world really need this money more than we do. That's so nice. That's really so. So I'm saying take it for yourself. You mean like candy? Like I can tell you my nine-year-old daughter like has her eye in an iPad. She does. I'm sorry, an iPod. She has an iPad, but she also wants an iPod. Did you have a specific thing you wanted to buy with the money you were going to earn or just sort of, you know, some extra pocket change? We didn't really think about it. We just wanted money. Right. I understand kids want money, you know, like you don't have access to money. And, and my son actually is four years old. He likes to just carry monies with him everywhere, just like in his backpack, just lots of coins. He likes to count them. So I understand kids, also adults like money. But so then, um, now I believe it was Willow's father that told you guys what's going on in Nepal right now. Is that correct? Yeah. And he told you that people, uh, people died and people are hurt and they can use some kind of help. Yeah, um, and so you decided at that point that you wanted to use this money to give to someone else. Yeah. That's a great idea. So how did you get people to buy your lemonade? Were, did you change, did you have to sort of market it differently that this was not, you know, lemonade for my pocket, but lemonade to help people who are suffering? Me and Willow were jumping up and down and screaming, come and get your fresh lemonade to raise money for the... Earthquake relief fund. Yeah, and then we said it comes with this free smile, and then everyone starts smiling at us. Yo, you get a free smile when you get lemonade. Yep. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so what kind of, were the, the people that bought your lemonade, were they part of your Jewish community? Were they strangers? Like, who, who bought the lemonade? We're just, we were doing it right next to Walgreens. Oh, so you went next to a pre-existing store. That that was a very smart business move. I think you girls are, uh, you know, uh, maybe future entrepreneurs here. So you met all different kinds of people when when you uh, when you raised the money. And is chesed, is kindness, is charity, is tzedakah, is that something that you guys talk about in school, in your homes? Is it something you talk about being a religious Jew? Yeah. Okay, good. Excellent. Glad the education is going well. And let me ask you a question. Why do you think it's important to help all different kinds of people, not just Jewish ones? Is that something you thought about before? Like, why, why should we be caring about people that aren't part of just our Jewish community? Because, you know, sometimes you just have to not just think about yourself. Sometimes you have to think about other people. Beautiful. Well, you know what, girls? You are off to a magnificent start. Um, and I know, you know, you didn't raise the 25000 that this little girl, Nama, that you did it for a year. Um, I believe your mom said it was more like $65, but at a lemonade standstill, you know, we made like, you know, $5 when I was a kid, although maybe I'm just really old, but um, it's really incredible. Now, can I ask you a question? Do you think this might be something in the future? Do you see this as a, a future thing? You're going to maybe try to raise money for other causes? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. And how, how did it make you feel to know that your money's going to go and help other people? All right, well, you guys, you guys know what the term Kiddush Hashem means? What? Did you ever hear the word Kiddush Hashem before? Yes. Yeah, so that, that you're sanctifying Hashem's name, that you're making Hashem proud, that you're making Jewish people look good because you're living like, like Jews are supposed to live. So um, we wish you uh, continued Hatzlacha, um, and uh, your parents should have uh, continued Nachas for you. And um, we'd like to have you back on again when you do your next project and continue uh, doing wonderful things for the world. Okay, have a great day. Hey, you too.
And with so much negative news out there and sad stories, um, it's nice to just sort of have a little bit of a pick-me-up, um, just these two sweet girls who are obviously being raised um, in very special homes and getting the right message in their school um, and conducting themselves the way Orthodox Jews are supposed to, you know, uh, increasing uh, kindness in the world. Um, so we were happy to share a little bit of, of happiness in uh, such a tragic week with you today. Um, up next, we have uh, really a, a superstar. Um, she was one of our 2013 Orthodox Jewish All-Stars. Um, you know, we have stars in Chesed, and she's also a very special person in that way. But uh, in terms of her career and just sort of overall general person, Sarah Hofstetter um, is pretty unique. She is the CEO of 360i which is the only agency to be named top three agency of advertising's advertising age agency A-list three years in a row. That is so many A's. Advertising ages A-list three years in a row. She was, uh, their agency is also Media Post's OMA agency two years straight. The clients for 360i include Kraft Food, Coca-Cola, Oreo, and um, they're connecting with more than 250 million customers every day. Under Sarah's watch, 360i has won numerous awards for digital innovation at Cannes, the Clio's, New York Festival's, The One Show, and the Shorty Awards. Uh, Sarah currently sits on the 4A's Board of Directors and was named to the 2014, 2014 AAF Hall of Achievement. She's been recognized by advertising ages 40 under 40, Adweek, the Adweek 50, Cable Fax's Digital Hotlist, and among the Stevie Awards 2012 Female Advertising Executives of the Year. She's frequently quoted in publications including the Wall Street Journal, Advertising Age, and the New York Times. And she is with us today here on June the City Speaks. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. You know, your bio was so long. That was like the cut-down version of it, and like just even getting through it, I was like, how do you fill up like a 30-minute show? But, you know, reading your bio uh, takes up some time. But um, really, like, kola kavod on all of your successes, and um, we really get so much nachas to see you making positive headlines in the news for, for an Orthodox Jew. Um, can you just share with uh, our listeners today a little bit about what your Jewish background was like growing up? Like, where did you grow up and kind of, you know, your education, that sort of a thing? Uh, sure. I grew up in the Five Towns in Lawrence, and uh, I only live about a mile from where I grew up. I live in Cedarhurst now, and I started out through the yeshiva system, went to Halb, then Central, spent a year in Israel at Madrasha Moria, Queens College, and then uh, started working professionally. And um, <clears throat> in terms of, you know, your incredible uh, professional success, did you have, uh, like, orthodox female role models growing up that you could sort of look towards and say this was someone that kind of had that balance or was able to achieve big dreams or were things just different a generation ago? Or um, It's interesting. I think I've been fortunate enough to have been surrounded by lots of female role models. The idea of, you know, why, why can't I work or, and raise a family was never really something I considered for a particularly long period of time. My mom went back to work when we were... Um, a little bit older, she got a dual master's and worked, you know, while I was uh, certainly in, in high school. My grandmothers both worked as well. My grandmother on my, on my father's side was an EMT. My grandmother on my mother's side was a teacher. So um, I think I've had lots of female role models at, at minimum in my family and uh, certainly throughout my career have learned from both men and women alike. Awesome. Incredible. You know, because it's something that I've discussed with you about, we mentioned here on the show before, that there are still people that don't realize that Orthodox women are even allowed to work. Last week we had um, 
a Hasidic woman on the show who said on a plane ride home from this year's California uh, party of our All-Star Awards, a secular Jewish man was surprised to hear that she works. And sometimes people don't believe me when I tell them that people in this day and age still have this misconception about the Orthodox community. So, um, you know, I know that we have spoken before at one point in your career, you didn't speak uh, about your orthodoxy as much in the workplace. And uh, in the recent past, you've been more open about it. Was there something in particular that made you decide to change? And once you were more open, what, what kind of feedback have you gotten? That's a great question. There, I wouldn't say I was necessarily hiding it, but I certainly wasn't outwardly embracing it. There would be times that we'd be at a trade restaurant with a client, and instead of you know bringing my food wrapped with tons of aluminum foil and making a mess all over the beautiful trace uh, environment, I would just push around the salad and not actually eat anything. First of all, I got hungry. <laughs> Second of all, um, it got to a point where I was less paranoid about what, how that was going to affect the relationship I had, whether it was with my clients or my colleagues. And so I think it, it just got to a point where whether it was um, I was more confident or more established in my career where I said, listen, I, I just can't imagine somebody's going to judge me based on what I'm eating or what I choose to do or not to do. I was accomplished enough in my career and had enough achievements under my belt that I, I felt like I had earned that all on my own. And so if I happen to also be Orthodox Jewish, then does that really matter? And, and, and did well, it matter what, what kind of reaction has people told you when you mentioned you've got this thing called Shabbos or you've got this thing called kosher? Um, I've really been fortunate to have been surrounded largely by clients and colleagues that really appreciate a values-based environment. And so the fact that I don't work on Shabbos, I've never had a client at least certainly not get frustrated to my face, but I've certainly not heard backlash either. I think they respect the values and that I don't take advantage of it either. So there's an element of making sure that the clients understand, sure, you're not going to be available from Friday, you know, at sundown until Saturday night, but that if something does come up, I'll find a way to go, you know, to the ends of the earth to find a solution for them those other, you know, six days a week. So I think it's one thing when people um, unfortunately take advantage of that, you know, Orthodox Jews who leave early even in the summer, right. um, and then it creates really some, some some negative reputation, and I think that that's shameful. I, re I really do, because it's a privilege to be able to have that flexibility, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful that I do have that flexibility. My grandparents did not grow up with that flexibility. Sure. And so um, I think we just have to respect it and make sure that we're making up um, that time and we're earning that trust with our with our clients, with our peers, with our bosses and the like. And how about um, the way that you're running um, the, this company? Do your um, employees also get to have a little bit of a lighter schedule um, on the day of the Lord's rest? Um, you know, everybody works in a way that is conducive to them. So there are plenty of people in the office that do work on Saturday mm -hmm. um, and you know, some also work on Sunday. A lot of it sure. depends on, on the workload. So I wouldn't necessarily call my schedule a lighter schedule. My, right. my, sure, sure. my husband and kids would certainly say that I do not have a lighter schedule. Um, but I think when people need to do various things, whether that's for their religion, their family, their pet, it doesn't really matter. Life is complex. Um, our, our demands for us continue to increase, whether that's due to religious pressure or family pressure or um, social pressures. I think the ability to be able to create the right kinds of juggling 
act, whatever that is, is essential for being able to, frankly, master that balance. And you, so you said that um, that Shabbos is something you're, you know you're going to work harder for on the six days a week that you are working. Do you feel that Shabbos um, is helpful to your career at all? I've heard from a lot of other successful people that mention that Shabbos they feel like is actually something that adds to their success as opposed to uh, taking away from it. Do you have a similar sentiment? I recommend Shabbos for everyone. I don't care what your religion is. I think Shabbos is something that um, is an, a fantastic mental break and an opportunity to reconnect. Um, you know, it, 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 you can't multitask when it's Shabbos, which is wonderful. It allows you to focus on the things that are important. I've, I have never been as appreciative of Shabbos as I, had at the, as I was when I started working, and it's it's something I recommend to my my colleagues and and to people I, I, whose paths I cross. And I remember you were on uh, in the maybe the last year. There was a video with you and some high up executives, maybe in the media industry, and you mentioned to them that you're a Sabbath observant. And the way you described it, you could just tell. Can, can you remind me what you, don't, you know what video I'm referring to? I actually don't. Oh really? Oh, so maybe it was someone from Vogue or something. They were talking about sort of making space for their employees and how do you? And you mentioned Shabbos and the look on their faces. Um, they just look so like stunned in such a positive way. You're a Sabbath observer and you don't even pick up a pen on the Sabbath. And this way, you're able to carve out time yes, for yourself. Yes, yes, I do remember this. Yes, it was with uh, the editor in chief of Cosmo. Yes, Joanna Coles, and yes, yeah, she was. Uh, she, I, I think I might have been the first uh, Sabbath observant person she had really gotten to know, and. Um, the the definition of creating those boundaries, I think, was very um, inspiring to her. So I don't think she's becoming Shomer Shabbos as a result, but I think she certainly um, learned a, a thing or two that day. No, so you know what? I don't think, you know, I think us being sort of open about who we are and what our values are doesn't have to be you have to be like us, but just to show that we have values that, you know, are um, – some, something positive that if even if somebody wants to take a piece of it or at least respect from a distance, um, it's so it's so important to you know for you to be a role model like that. Which leads me to my next question: What does being a Jew in the City Orthodox Jewish All Star mean to you? Because we're doing our our next round of nominations for 2015. Um, well, it certainly meant a lot of nachos for my grandparents, and that was a big deal. So um, <laughs> at, at minimum, my grandparents could not have been more proud of of that because I think the the striving to be successful as an Orthodox Jew and be, so, and of course, you know, uh, there's only one being that matters in, in that calculus, and that's Hashem. But sure. take, take that out of the equation. The ability to be able to not have to give up what um, your, your values and still be able to, um, frankly, do good PR for observant Jews is incredibly important. And something I've spoken about with some of the other prior Jew in the city um, all-stars, because I think we all have an obligation, and this is not just at the all-stars, I think this is to all observant Jews that are in the workforce outside of the um, the echo chamber of the Orthodox Jewish environment, is that we've got to be good representatives. We, we're spokespeople whether we want to be or not. Exactly. And so... Um, you know, you always say, oh, well, you know, I always have to ask my rabbi or you always have to, like, consult with other people when you're making certain statements. But I think the way that we act and the way that we behave has to be representative of that, um, uh, of, of what we as a people represent. And so I think that um, when I was named the All-Star, I think for me it even put a greater sense of responsibility on me um, by, my, you know, by my own choice 
to make sure that I am representing well and that I'm doing what people would expect somebody um, who is observant Jewish to be doing. It's so interesting that, you know, the level of success, it it really, I think, inspires people. I, I, I thought that it would be inspiring to sort of the non-observant crowd to say like, hmm, I didn't realize that if I, you know, delved into my observance more than I could still have some freedom or some flexibility in my professional life. The feedback, though, from the Orthodox Jews that we've reached, um, some of them, I even saw, you know, a response from someone who is the child of a pretty well-known educator, uh, outreach educator in Jerusalem. Um, when we posted this year's All-Star Awards, he wrote back, like, thank you so much for posting this. This was so essential for me to see. So um, not just the, the people that should know and should be inspired. Um, it, it's really incredible, um, you know, kind of what your, your story and your success um, is doing for them. Um, just one more question I wanted to ask you earlier. Any funny kosher stories that have ever come up trying to sort of balance, the, you know, being in the, in the workforce and, you know, keeping strictly kosher? Uh, well, one just came up last week. I was at um, an awards dinner at the Waldorf Astoria last week, and I uh, went over to one of the maitre d's to go check on whether or not there was a kosher meal for me, and he said, yes, 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 don't worry, it's on its way. And I bumped into the woman who was running the event, and she comes over to me and she says, Sarah, we're ready to bring you the food. It's double-wrapped, but we cannot find a rabbi to bless it, and so we don't really know what to do. <gasps> And I said, it's okay. I don't need the rabbi blessing it as long as it's, you know, double wrapped and it's got the seal on it. We're, we're good to go. And she said, wait, so then how do you know it's kosher? So I had to kind of explain that to her. And that just happened in New York last week. So the whole kind of um, misnomer that your rabbi has to bless your food continues, which is kind of hilarious. We have a video on that one. So, you know, I think people, people don't, in our community, don't realize how, many misunderstandings there are. And so, um, yeah, I, I appreciate whenever evidence out there backs up what I'm telling people, because I think what it means is that we need to make sure that we are being good ambassadors. Like all of us, we can be doing this. It doesn't just have to be on social media, on YouTube, that sort of thing. We can be doing this every day in our regular lives. So, Yeah, I think that that's the right word. And it was a word I was struggling to find throughout this interview. But the idea of the ambassador, um, we don't have a choice. We all have to be ambassadors. And so how we choose to behave is a representation. And it's much harder, I would say, for men than it is for women. When you are walking on the street on Shabbos and you work in, walk in the middle of the street and people have to drive around you, you're mm-hmm. doing bad PR for all Jews. Not sure. just observant Jews. You're doing a bad job as an ambassador for all, Jewish, uh, for all Jews. When you are talking loud on the train on your phone and you're wearing a yarmulke, you are being a bad ambassador. And so it's so much less about, you know, sticking to your guns about keeping Shabbos and kosher, but it's just we're representatives with everything that we do. And so the way that we speak and the way that we behave um, and the way that we represent ourselves as people automatically translates to somebody thinking positively about us or not. And so I think it's just important for us to think about that much more so than maybe, you know, the... How carefully are we following the letters of the law? A thousand percent. And you're right in terms of men needing to be more conscious. Or I would say like this, for those of us that blend more, if it's a man who's not wearing his yarmulke at work or a woman, you know, kind of is dressing more stylishly or more blends, in that way we could go under the radar more. But I think in those instances we should use those opportunities of interacting with different types of people 
as, you know, sort of segues to explain things because um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that when someone does something crazy that people read about in the headlines, it's ultimately reflect, reflecting all of us, no matter what community we belong to and no matter how much we're outraged at the, you know, whatever the act was that was reported on. So we have the opportunity to make those uh, differences. And just one last closing thing because I know you have a company to run and we really appreciate your time. Do you have any advice to any of our young observant listeners out there about sort of navigating in the, you know, ad world if they're interested in that as an observant person? Any any words of advice of sort of becoming successful in that way? Um, I mean, it's the same advice I would give to people whether they were observant or not, which is it's a very it's a it's a very crowded marketplace in the advertising field, and so the people who step up for the more challenging assignments and deliver on them are the ones that are going to be noticed and recognized and appreciated. Um, regardless of what other challenges may come their way, whether that's I can't go out to dinner with you or whether it's I've got to leave early on Friday. If you're stepping up for other challenges and you're demonstrating that you're um, capable individuals regardless, you're going to be successful. Um, and so that combined with, frankly, being a decent human being and respecting others, um, treating people as you would want to be treated are really the key ingredients there. No, no, no secret sauce. Awesome. Well, you know what? Practicing sometimes practicing that that uh, those basic things are are more difficult than uh, you know than they should be. So, thank you so much for being a living example of that. Thank you so much for your time, and um, you know, please continue uh, to make positive headlines. We're we're so enjoying watching you. Thanks so much, Allison, for all you do. It's uh, it's it's an absolute fantastic initiative that you work on, and and really does so much to lift the spirits and focus of so many. Thank you so much. All right, uh, so go, go back to that company that you run now, and we'll talk <laughs> to you right, soon. All right, be well. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. I didn't mention actually before I should mention now, Sarah actually is one of our advisors for Jew in the City. So um, it's really, uh, you know, just a complete honor for us to have um, her creative powers and, you know, really mastery of social media, digital media is, is her expertise so that we can call upon her when we have different, you know, uh, sponsorship opportunities and content opportunities uh, is really tremendous. Um, and we're going to be hearing for some, from, from some more uh, future, uh, sorry, let's try that again. We're going to be hearing from some more past Orthodox Jewish All-Stars in the next few weeks because right now is your chance to nominate a 2015 Orthodox Jewish All-Star. If you head over to JewInTheCity.com, I believe it's the second to last post, maybe the third to last post right now, you'll see um, where you can nominate the 2015 Orthodox Jewish All-Stars. You have until the end of May, that's our cutoff date, but um, we have several different categories, business and industry, law and government, science and medicine, sport, uh, arts and entertainment. Um, which includes sports. Not that there are that many Orthodox Jewish athletes, but we have had a few. Um, and so this is your chance to let us know who do you know personally, who have you heard of, who is high up in their career. We don't just want to hear like from you that, oh, my doctor's really great. She's a special person, but more like some sort of, you know, universally recognized award or achievement or, you know, a position in a well-known, you know, big company, that sort of a thing. Um, where the person is doing that uh, at the same time of, you know, being uh, strictly orthodox. And the purpose of this is to inspire the already observant, to let them know all the things that are possible that we can do, all the talents, all the ways we can use our talents while remaining observant. Um, it's to show the non-orthodox population that if they should ever uh, want to dabble more into their heritage and more into observance, that there is room and space to observe uh, within their careers. Not every single thing, but many of them. Um, and the way that we find out about these people is 
by you out there, our, our listening um, public, letting us know who you know, since we don't know everyone yet. Um, and just to close today, um, one final thing on the agenda, um, besides promoting kindness and breaking down stereotypes, we have a new initiative at you in the city called Project Makom. Um, this is a, an, a program that was started when we heard from ex-Haredi people, ex-Hasidish people who were raised in such a strict way that they did not have access to the sorts of things that Stair and I were discussing today. Just to clarify, this is not the entire Haredi population. There's different segments of it, but in the most ultra segments of the, the Haredi and Hasidish communities, there is little access to secular education, to secular careers, to secular media, that sort of a thing. And some of them want more access, um, and for them, it's either all or nothing. Either they stay how they were, ultra, ultra, or decide to become totally secular. And they came to us and said that they're looking for something in between. And so we started this initiative, Project Makom. We're having our first Shabbaton. We had sort of a small sort of trial one over the summer in Airmont, New York, but we're having sort of our first official one with speakers and catering and all that good stuff, um, June 12th through 13th. Um, it will be in uh, the five towns. And we're hoping to have a nice crowd here, and we're going to be dealing with a lot of questions that people have, how they've made the transition to a different community, uh, sort of to understand, you know, how interacting with the larger world sort of fits into Jewish sources and history. Is it allowed? Must we stay separate? Um, and we hope this will be very inspirational and help people, you know, get closer to finding a community that best fits them. Uh, you can get more information at jewinthecity.com slash project dash Makom. We are together putting up a website right now. We have a Facebook group called Project Makom. So you can go to these various places to get connected. And um, if this is the right fit for you or someone you know, please give us a holler. We love to see you at the Shabbaton. Right now we're pricing couples at $150 a couple. We're going to get prices for families and singles uh, to you soon as well. Thanks so much for joining us today and please come back here same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.